I'm absolutely lost for words. I mean, Francis Ngannou has never boxed before. And fair play to him. I mean, I didn't think he was overly impressive, but Tyson Fury looked like he's never laced up a pair of gloves before. Got dropped in, was it the third round? Never threw a punch. Ngannou never threw a punch after. I thought Ngannou won by two rounds. The boxing world's gone mad. I mean, please, either, I mean, forget Fury Usyk. No one's interested. Just give us Fury against AJ. AJ will knock Tyson Fury out inside six rounds. Make the fight, otherwise we'll never get it. Or rematch with Ghana. Because the guy just deserves to have had one of the greatest wins. I mean, I don't know what I was watching. I don't know what Tyson Fury was doing. I'm still, I'm still completely lost for words. When the fight started, uh, one thing, uh, when we get closer and then when we touch closer, I'm like, let's take the interview to school. I'm like, you want to you want to take it to school. That's why, like, when I knocked him down, I was dancing in front, like, you're a bad professor, motherfucker. Like, <laughs> you're a bad professor. <laughs> like, how is that school going? Who is taking you to school? <laughs> because for me, it looks like I'm the one taking you to school. Hey, and welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where, well, do we even have a sport anymore after what happened in Saudi Arabia? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I I woke up today with the distinct feeling that boxing's in the bin, and I couldn't tell you how on earth we're going to get it back because we've allowed it to go down this route for so long, I don't know if you can fish it back. And, you know, sometimes you need an event like this, don't you? You need, you need that event that breaks the levee, that releases the floodwaters, and people then go, oh my God, I never realized it was this bad. Um, let's use an example. For ages in the UK, what did we have? We had a really rickety, generally quite crap, underground railway system in London, right? Yeah, we did. The King's Cross fire happened. And they transformed how they built tube stations from then on. It was all about the right kind of ventilation, making sure people could get out quickly. The right things happened after that, but it took that to happen. There was a Paddington rail crash, which then meant we had to fix how we managed our signals. Um, look at it. We had the financial crisis of 2008, which meant we had to learn how to regulate financial services properly. There comes a point in every market, every sector, where people just go, enough is enough. If, if everything that Fury's done, and it's not just Fury, it's that kind of whole cabal, the Fury, Frank, Bob, Eddie, Femi, the whole thing. When this whole cabal just collapses and we can get our sport back and we can build it on, on those foundations of people getting into fights we care about. Maybe we'll get our sport back. But what we saw in Saudi wasn't, wasn't our sport. But having said that, we also have to give credit. Huge credit to, to Turkey Al-Al-Sheikh. Is it Al-Al-Sheikh or Al-Al-Sheikh? Credit to him because there's no way he could have hoped that that opener for Riyadh season would get the, the attention it did. Maybe he knew. Maybe he knew something. But that's a seismic dent he's just put in the world of boxing. 
that's on that kind of Mike Tyson, Buster Douglas level, but amplified a lot more because of social media. So this is what most sporting people are talking about directly or indirectly. And so how many times does Saudi Arabia get mentioned in the next 48 hours? How many times does Riyadh season get mentioned in the next 48 hours? Yes, you can buy that kind of publicity, but that costs you a fair whack. So how much of this money that he spent is he already making back in PR? This is a really, really, really smart move. It's worked out brilliantly for him, right? Um, just a couple of words on the production. I thought no expense was spared. It looked elite. It, I felt the same way about watching the Saudi show as I did when I first saw the World Boxing Super Series, where you're like, they've gone outside the sport to get ideas on how to make the event more engaging. I like that. I like the fact that it had a different perspective. Watching the ring come up for the main event was good. On a card that short, I didn't think we needed the massive break. and We definitely didn't need the damn concert in, in and amongst all of that. It, I'd describe it as maybe they were trying to do too much. I get it. You want to make a dent and an impression. You want to capture the imagination of the world. I think they could have probably had the same effect with 20% of the cast of characters. I don't know what the situation was. I don't know if people got flown out or paid to be there, but you saw everyone out there with their begging bowls, just just trying to just trying to get their lips around the last drops of that Saudi largesse. It, it's I always say that boxing's cringeworthy in the in the as Steve Bunce would call them the do it for free crowd, which is running around with their begging bowls, praying that they get something. And look, maybe maybe they're maybe they're right. Maybe they know more than we do. I don't know. But I think they're the, the nasty stain that the sport in I mean harbors, which we shouldn't harbor. I think we need to get rid of a lot of these guys. This should be a proper cull. If Eddie Hearn's going to get rid of some of the matchroom guys, can we at least get rid of some of these media outlets because they don't do us any favors? But overall, I thought the production was good. I thought they brought a new dimension to it. It's a very expensive one, so I don't know how sustainable that is and how much of that can trickle down the various levels of boxing. But credit again to Turkey, I'll, I'll, I'll shake, because someone had to have a vision, and this is a great vision. But we need to talk about the fight, because I, I still can't put my finger on it. And maybe we will never know what really happened. Saturday night felt like, I don't know if anyone remembers the 98 World Cup final when they rolled Ronaldo out, the real Ronaldo, R9, onto the pitch. And he looked like he had just woken up. Like, he looked like he had just woken up and was like, you know, you know I can't even let me shower? I can't even shower before the game? And he kind of ran around the pitch like a zombie, completely ineffective. And that's the kind of feeling I had with Fury. And at first I was like, do they have this guy on medication? Does he have to take medication to manage his mental health? Because if he does, it doesn't look like he's taken it. Like uh, maybe when he needed some dopamine or some serotonin, he wasn't getting it. Because Tyson Fury looked flat. Let's be absolutely clear. Tyson Fury looked flat. I've said for a long time, and I was shouted down by the Fury Power Mafia, who have been surprisingly quiet, which is understandable. But I was shouted down when I said, those three Deontay Wilder fights, 
especially the first one, took something out of Tyson Fury he has never got back. After that first fight, Fury was never as mobile. He was never as quick. He was never as slick. He was never as good after that first Wilder fight. I'd also argue neither was Wilder. Wilder wasn't the same guy. I don't believe Wilder is the same man after that third Fury fight. Between those three fights, those two men took each other's souls. And I think all we've seen is Fury managing that decline gradually over time. He's tried to hide it by picking soft options. Dillian White was a soft option. Derek Chisora was a soft option. He knew he could outthink those guys. He knew he could outwork them. He knew he, he was in their heads and he could intimidate them. So here's the problem with being in your mid-30s. Um, when it comes to boxing, in fact, when it comes to most sport, father time catches up with you. You're never as mobile as you were when you started out. It's not possible. So, yes, you've got the experience, you've got the nous, and actually what you learn as you get older is you learn to do more with less. We've watched Fury do this in his career, and if you remember, the argument had always been, oh, well, Tyson's boxing this way now because he's with Sugar Hill and they're trying to bring the Kronk star. But the Kronk star's quite a loose you know, quite, you know, whipping shots. And, you know, I mean, you've got to have good feet. Fury hasn't had good feet in a long time. It's been hidden because he's been in with guys like Wilder who don't have great footwork. Dillian doesn't have great footwork. Derek doesn't have great footwork. And so it wasn't really being exposed. The fact that he's now 35, yeah, let's pause and let's, let's now go through history and look. When Ali was 35, he had just done the thriller in Manila. Who did he fight after that? Like Ali's run after that was, God, let's see. I'll get these in the wrong order, so forgive me. Um, he fought Jimmy Young. I'm sure he fought Ken Norton, Richard Dunn. And then he fought Spinks twice. He fought Shavers, um, Larry Holmes, and Trevor Burbick. That's not... And those weren't like Ali-type wins. They were wins where he gritted it out. He had to ship a lot of punishment in a lot of those fights. He, you know, he, mortgaged, he probably mortgaged his future health by being too stubborn not to retire after that Joe Frazier fight. That thriller in Manila took something of Ali's soul. As did the rumble in the jungle. And I feel the same way about Fury in Wilder 1 and Wilder 3. He had to go into something that wasn't boxing related. He had to go into his life force. You know, you're tapping into that energy your ancestors provide you, you know, for want of a better example. But this is what happens when you get older. You try and tell us that these fights that you're taking on are meaningful, but they're not. They're all cash out fights. They're fights to keep the bank balance topped up. They're fights that the entourage asks for because the entourage must be fed. All those Fury brothers and cousins and uncles must be fed. Those hangers-on must be fed. You know, the kind of associated traveler community must be fed. That media machine must be fed. Frank and Bob must be fed. Um, the 971 boys must be fed. And so Fury becomes this thing. The only difference is he hasn't got Elijah Muhammad's son pimping him out to every outlet. 
you know what I mean? He hasn't. He's got Frank and Bob. And we're seeing that. And I, and I said it. I said it when people tried to tell me it was all, oh, ah, Sugar Hill's got this tact. I said, no. Fury's realized that he's six foot nine. His legs aren't what they used to be. He's heavy. He's not going to be moving around the ring anymore. And so he evolved this style. If you notice, it's the, you know, that kind of twitchy style, try and draw the leads, counter off that. You know, that was always this thing. Like, he, he'd twitch, force you to jab. He'd come back with this kind of, it's not even a one-two. It's like this kind of sweeping left into a straight right. And that worked against Wilde and it worked against Dillian. But the thing that really hurt Dillian was the uppercut, which we didn't see in this fight. The thing that really did for Jasora was the uppercut as well and some of those hooks. We didn't see any of that. We didn't see any body work. And all of that indicates to me Fury didn't really train for this. You can be in the gym all day, every day, but are you really training for this? I don't believe he was. And who allowed that? Did everyone just sit there and go, ah, oh, yeah, this Nganu guy, <laughs> yeah, he ain't that good. You know, well, what can he possibly know that the Gypsy King doesn't? I tell you this for nothing. Having shared the ring with a guy I've got a lot of respect for, Blaze Mendo, um, and a couple of the other Cameroonian lads that were here for the 2012 Olympics, I've never seen them wobbled, never seen them dropped, never seen them even show a sign of discomfort. They're very, very hard human beings. When you then add the fact that they grew up there in tough environments and everyone's fighting to make it out of that environment, when you, when you start to look at what Nganu had to get through to get to that moment in Saudi Arabia, in your heart of hearts, like, I don't think Fury's knocking this guy out. He may outskill him. He may beat him on just pure fundamentals. You're not knocking him out. Look at the size of his head and neck complex. You're not knocking him out. And so you watch the fight. And, you know, I'm not saying Nganu was elegant. But Nganu did what all smart opponents do. So if you go back to the beginning of the fight, the thing I liked about Nganu was... He postured up like a counterpuncher, which I watched it and I went, no way. Yeah, because counterpunching is a skill I generally say is reserved for the top tier of fighters because you've got to really understand boxing to, to counterpunch. But his team have clearly done their analysis and gone, Fury doesn't throw that many different shots. If we can just prepare for two or three scenarios, we can counter him. So if you watch the early part of the fight, Nganu's got his right glove out to catch the jab. And his hand's a little bit out because he knows Fury likes to sweep the hand across. So he's making sure that it can't happen. And so when Fury does go low with the jab, he can just slap it down, get his hand straight back up. And what he was doing was, I love this. He was, he was moving the, jet, the lead hand away and putting his hand in the way of the backhand. So he nullified anything Fury was trying to do. Boxing doesn't teach that, but you know what does? Every other martial art. That idea of just controlling the arms. Yeah? You control the arms, then you can slide into a clinch, you know, get them in the plumb position, knees to the ribs, knees to the head, whatever. And so he brought that kind of thinking from outside of boxing into boxing. And the times he did that, you could see Fury's like, what's going on here? And you could hear Fury's corner, like, push him back, push him back. And I think Fury tried, but Ngannou was like, nah, I'm used to this, man. 
And not only that, but Ngannou was the bigger man for me. Like in terms of lean, effective mass, Ngannou was the bigger man. I don't even think it was close. I think if, if Fury had trained to the best of his ability, he'd have come in about 258 and still wouldn't have looked as good as Ngannou did in, what was it, 267, 270, somewhere around that. So you're watching this in the beginning of the fight and you're saying, huh, he's, he's flipped the script because let's go back 24 hours. If you'd said to anyone, what does Ngannou have to do to win? Oh, you know what? He's got to get on Fury's chest, deny Fury the range he likes to work at, just bully him, use that, that core strength you get from being an MMA guy to bully him and then hopefully land a lucky punch. So as you write the plan down to fight Fury, and I've done this for other guys before who've gone on to win belts, but you do that, and then you, you pause and you go, if I know this and you know this, they know this. Maybe this is what they're training for. Don't know, but if we try something different, we're going to find out in that first round what they prepared for. And so Ngannou just didn't commit. Never gave up his balance, never gave up his position, realized he wasn't the guy that had to make the fight. Tyson Fury was the guy that had to make the fight and force the pace so Ngannou could sit back. And as he was sitting back, Fury was like, why is he not biting on the feints? Why isn't he biting on everything I do? And Ngannou was like, well, no. I just know that in the space that I've got, where I am right now, I can control all the variables. If I come forward, I can't. And so Ngannou just held that. And anytime Fury tried something, Ngannou was determined to counter that all of that left hook which was a sensible thing to do now i'm hearing people saying garner's got the hardest punch in the world and i'm like oh, stop please stop mma people will hate me for this but we haven't seen Ngannou do anything wilder hasn't done do you know what i mean like deontay wilder's marmalized big strong people with notoriously good chins we haven't seen Ngannou do that I'm not saying it's not possible but until he does He's not up there for me in terms of just raw punch power. But just a couple of things that I, I like to focus on. Like, considering those guys were about 10 pounds different in weight, like probably less on fight night, the physical composition of both men told a lot. Like Nganu, a lot of meat on the shoulders, the traps, the neck, you know, built, built to take those sort of impacts. But when you see a body like that, and you're like, well, there's a lot of mass up there. How much mass is there in the legs? How much mass is there in the midsection? And I'm surprised Fury wasn't exploring that more often. He tried with the jab, but he wasn't intense enough, so Ngannou could, could just slide back. And what I respected about Ngannou was his ability to, to just take a little step back. When, when he wasn't sure what Fury was going to do, he just took a little step back and just he kept... He kept that distance, but every time he made sure he just chipped away and he, he hit anything that was flesh. You know. And when you look at Ngannou, it was crude, it was basic, but you looked at him and you went, he's not half bad, this kid. And it was, it was that jab defense. His jab defense, um, I look at that and go, I'm surprised no other pro footballer is that proficient at just parrying and palming the jab down. I don't think Fury's used to that either. I think Fury's just kind of used to the two hands up. And it's not like Ngannou didn't give him a massive gate between the guard. But it should never have been in this position. Like, 
when you look at it from the other end and you look at Fury, Fury was lethargic. He just couldn't let the shots go. They were slow and they were ponderous. He was overthinking. I think someone said he was boxing like he was a raw novice. It's almost as if someone had just rebooted the system. And you know, like when you used to play Grand Theft Auto and someone just reset all your settings and you had to start from scratch. It looked like he was boxing to that sort of ethos and tempo. It just, it wasn't great to watch from Tyson. You're like, what's happened here? And it just starts to look like maybe he hasn't trained. Maybe he has been on the lash. Maybe he's been, you know, abusing his body in ways that we we know of. But, you know, very few people like to talk about. Because it it looked like Tyson Fury, but it didn't give us that sense of Fury. He was switching stances because he was confused. You know, he, he couldn't understand why Ngannou wouldn't give him what he wanted. Yeah. And then he was making that... that that mistake that he's not, he sort of started to make, hasn't he, when he throws that right hand and he leans over to his left, you know, to almost trying to load a spring so he can just hop out the other side. And I think it was round three and Garner just touched him, bang, pushed him over with that shot. And that was it. That was a knockdown. And that was a knockdown where no matter what happened in that fight, Fury had lost it. Because you're not supposed to get put down by an MMA guy. I would have understood if it was a leg kick, but it wasn't. He got hit with a punch. And, and all the while, you're watching this fight. And I think sometimes, and when I go back and I watch it, no, I haven't seen it all back here, but I've seen the first four rounds. And I'm, I'm looking, I'm like, Fury was in control. And maybe we gave Ngannou a lot of credit because he's Francis Ngannou. But that knockdown it didn't matter what the result was and Garner was the real winner that night. And the scary thing was at no point could Fury go, right, let's end this fight. That wasn't in him. And this is what I mean about old Ali. When Ali got old, he wasn't able to, to be that incredible version of himself. He had to out-tough and out-think people. Um, same with that third Ken Norton fight where he could only dance for a couple of rounds then he had to go back to attritional Ali and that's when you knew the decline had set in um, you saw it a bit with Lennox when he fought Vitali, where he had to go to that place because he had slowed down enough he wasn't as dynamic as he used to be the same with Mike Tyson we've seen boxers go through this phase the difference is they've still put themselves in harm's way they haven't had these sorts of gimmicky fights where you've essentially got Fury and Nganu here and you're like what the hell's going on? Because Fury's looking at Ngannou like, mate, you're not meant to be this good. Ngannou's looking at Fury like, mate, you're meant to be better than this. And I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. But as you watch the fight go on and Fury now starts to impose himself, I know people don't want to buy that, but he was. He was, he was able to get his jab off a bit more. He just wasn't able to put a dent in Ngannou. Um, I think Fury's now learned, avoid Cameroonians at all costs. Like, avoid them, the Congolese, and anyone from the eastern side of Nigeria. Avoid like the plague. Um, you can run them over with a steamroller. They'll just pop back up. So in terms of all of that, so you get to the, to the, final, the final result, really. And I think a judge had it 
one judge had it in favor to Nganu, was it 96, 94, 96? I can't even remember. Then Fury had a, a 96, 93, and then the judge gave it to Fury 95, 94, which I don't understand. Like, I genuinely don't understand that. So you're basically giving Fury six rounds and Nganu four. Which six rounds? I tweeted partway through that night. I just said, I think this is going to be a draw. It was the only way I could see them saving face from what was essentially a disaster for Tyson Fury. This was a strategic blunder, an economic blunder. It, it's, it's an absolute disaster. But they gave it to Fury, and I think that was probably the worst thing they could have done. But mathematically, it was almost impossible to make it a draw. So, so you're looking at this and you're thinking, right, uh, what do you do now? That's how I felt in the fight. I thought, right, so they're going to give it to Fury. The fans are going to scream robbery because in that heat of, the heat of battle and the heat of the moment, your emotions get the better of you. It's a robbery. Even I thought it was a robbery. It probably isn't. Like, I think a draw is a fair result. One round either way is probably a fair result. But it should never have been that close. That's the final analysis of this. It should never have been that close. So why was it that close? And here's, here's where you've got to be real. Let's just look at the last couple of years. When you're a heavyweight boxer, heavyweight champion, the guy that is essentially the pillar of the sport hangs itself from, and your dad's running around topless, and your dad's talking disparagingly about what he's going to do to someone's girlfriend, and he's trying to fight TVs, and your dad's almost becoming the loosest of loose cannons. When your trainer is sat in a post-fight press conference topless, clowning around, part of the gang, and you wonder how much work is getting done, you wonder how much focus there is, you wonder who the hell's in charge, who, who's, who's setting and maintaining standards. It can't be Sugar Hill. It can't be. Because if you remember, they asked Sugar Hill about one of Fury's fights, he's like, I can't answer that. I'm like, but you is a damn trainer. Like, what the hell? If I'm training someone, you say to me, has he agreed to fight so-and-so? I'll tell you. Because that decision can't be made without me. And you see all of these guys, and you see John Fury and this Tommy. And it, it, it's, it's this massive disaster that's been allowed to happen because we needed a counterbalance to the, to the feminists, Right? All those sort of Team Joshua, Matchroom, Eddie Hearn guys. We needed a counterbalance. So we allowed all of this in the hope that we had a, you know, some kind of equilibrium between these really undesirable, crude economic projects on either side. Like there's the Joshua project, which is get as much money for as little risk as possible. And there's also a Fury project, which is similar. I think the Joshua project is more transactional. I show up, I do my pay-per-view, do my numbers, do my money, leave. And I think the Fury one's more strategic. It's more, we want the real access to the money, which was Saudi Arabia. And we need to offer them something of exchange, which was that WBC belt. Now, I have it on very, very good authority that the Saudis aren't enamored with Tyson Fury. 
because he has a history of drug taking, a history of heavy alcohol use, a history of performance enhancing drug use. He has talked disparagingly about a lot of things. He's foul mouthed, uncouth, I mean like walking around topless, all these sorts of things that the Saudis have tolerated because he has a belt that they need. But the strategic goal is to take the belt off him and put it on someone that they can do business with on a long-term basis, and that would be Usyk. So they're tolerating all of this until they can get the belt off Fury and give it to Usyk. What they do with Usyk, beyond that, I don't know, but I have it on good authority that a lot of people will be glad to see the back of the Furies. Because that whole damn entourage of just freeloaders... And this is the sort of stuff now you realize Peter Fury was keeping away from Tyson. And for that reason, he was relieved of his duties. But my goodness, did Tyson need Peter last night. My goodness, has he needed Peter in the last three months. Because he needed someone to tell him he ain't good enough right now. He's not training to go to hell and back like he should be. Because Nganu was. I mean, Ngannou was. You saw that whole camp that he had in there. He's still got the perennial clown Joseph Parker in there. Like, w what value is he? Like I said, I don't believe Joseph Parker in any era would win a British title. He ain't that good. I mean, you've got all of these other guys in there who, who aren't the guys who are going to make you better. The thing that surprised me the most about Team Fury was the lack of MMA people they had in there. Here's what made Francis Ngannou tricky. Fury's an experienced boxer. He knows that 99.9% .9 of the people he will ever face in a boxing ring have been taught to throw a jab, throw a backhand, throw a left hook, and every variant of those, right? And there's a way that they're taught, and over, over the years, you can read it. There are tells, you can figure it out pretty quick. When you bring a guy in from another sport, it can be MMA, it could be swimming, they're going to be unconventional. Now, if they're unconventional, but they have enough skill that they can do something themselves, and then layer on size and strength, it's a tough night because you're trying to figure out what this guy does. He's almost like, ah, I don't really know what I'm doing. I just know what I have to avoid. And actually, there's an expression, isn't it? The way you defeat the guy that knows everything is to know nothing. And it's almost as if, Nganu said, well, how about I just go into that ring not knowing that much, but knowing enough to protect myself? And he did that, and he gave very little for Fury to read off, not biting on the feints, not rushing in, not overawed, none of that. Fury couldn't get in his head. People forget this. So what was going on in that camp? It's always, it always looks like those lot are just clowning around. And we all used to put it down to, oh, it's just mind games because he kept winning. Oh, it's mind games. And you get a performance like this and you wonder what's been going on. Are there women? Are there, is there drink, drugs, all that sort of stuff? Because they're the rumors that leak out, but you can't verify those. So then you look and you go, okay, so what's the point of Sugar Hill? Is Tyson Fury better off back at Peter? Is he better off back at Joe Gallagher's place? Or not back at, is he better off up at Joe Gallagher's? Does he need someone to tell him, mate, this last part of your career, you can't have any days off? Because 
Fury's the age that David Hay was when he when he attempted his comeback, roughly. And I remember being around that, and you could see the decline. You could see that he couldn't do the training volumes that, you know, you'd always been led to believe he could do. And you see all of these things because when you get older, your body just doesn't respond the same. And so the key is just activity and continuity. You know, are we going to see that from Fury? Because we haven't seen it thus far. He could have laid waste to the division when he had the chance to, and he chose not to. Now as an old man or oldish man who's abused his body, and now his body's kind of saying, we need to go and spend time with the family. You know, so I come back to it. Like, so what's Sugar Hill been doing? What's that strength and conditioning guy been doing? Because he didn't condition him to handle someone like Nganu who can basically manhandle him. So Fury wasn't given that. Second point, didn't Fury say that he's confident he could beat Nganu in the cage? Jesus, man, you can't really beat him in the ring, never mind the cage. So I say this, take, take Tyson Fury, take the whole entourage, put it in a box. Take the stupid books, put them in a box. Take that Netflix series, who no one, which no one cares about, put it in the box. Take Furiosity, spill it in the gutter, put the can in the box, seal up that box and drop it in the ocean. Let's end this era now. I say the same thing to the, to the feminists. Let's end that era too. right? These guys had five years to give us the fight we wanted. Now we don't care. And this is why I feel for Usyk. Imagine Usyk sat there in Saudi Arabia, right? Fury gets put down in the third round. And Usyk's just watching another zero drop off. Then Fury can't put him away. Then Fury gets a lucky decision. Usyk's like, right, take another zero off. And he's looking at this fight going, how much economic value is left in this fight? Who cares about Undisputed now? Because we know Usyk's old, because Usyk's 37 now, and his legs weren't all that against Dubois. You know what I mean? He, he just beat up Dubois until Dubois said, eh, not today. Right? But he didn't, he didn't cover himself in glory against Daniel Dubois. Just like he didn't cover himself in glory against Joshua in that second fight. So you've got two guys here who we know are vulnerable to the same damn thing. If someone is prepared to stand up to them and not be intimidated and have a go, both men struggle. Furious traditionally struggle when someone's like, I'll have a go. McDermott had a go. Steve Cunningham had a go. Vlad tried to have a go and had him a bit under pressure. So there are all of these things that you look at. And go back to that sparring session where Joshua said, I just set about Fury. And people didn't want to believe, you know, Femi could do that. But now we look back and go, mm, Joshua probably did just put hands on him. Doesn't mean he dominated him, but we've learned now, right? Everyone in boxing has now gone, I can see how Fury can be put down. I can see how Fury can get hurt. Because for ages it was just, oh, maybe he'll get careless, number one. Number two, maybe... You know, you just need God-given Wilder-style power. And now we're looking at it going, well, actually, you know, if you just have a go and you catch him on the top of the head or you catch him on the chin, you can put him down. He's mostly off balance. His legs do not look strong. He doesn't look strong. Uh, I think Porky called that lower back fat he's got. How does he call it? Like blamange. And he's not far off. 
And so that, that Usyk fight, most people don't care. They're like, you might need to run this Ngannou thing back and convince us you're the man. Because the Usyk fight doesn't matter. And we know we're not going to get the Joshua fight. And so I've, I, and normally I'd criticize Hearn for sticking his nose in stuff that doesn't belong to him or doesn't concern him. But this one does because I think the original plan was for AJ to fight Ngannou and people laughed at that. But now we're like, whoo. What, what happens in that? I think the answer is Anthony Joshua runs over him and reverses over him. I, I'll say this about Nganu. I do not believe Nganu beats. Any, well, for any, I don't think he beats any decent heavyweight. Because it's only so, he had that surprise factor, right? Now we've seen what he does. He's only got, well, and he's shown us he's a counterpuncher, so people are going to be prepared for that. All he can do now is become a come forward guy. And it's meat and drink to most heavyweights. Like I said, I don't think he's got superhuman punch power. I think he's heavy handed because if you look at his size, he has to be. But I think when people start working him up with a bit of pace, a bit of movement, and he's got to move that lumbering body of his, it'll all unravel quickly. And we'll wonder, you know, how bad was Tyson Fury? Because remember, guys are talking about Tyson Fury being one of the five greatest heavyweights to have ever lived <laughs> or just off beating an aging Vlad and Deontay Wilder two and a half times really but you know the most hurtful thing about this about this all I'm I'm a proud fan of the sport of boxing I understand how hard it is to be good at this thing called boxing I've I've shared a gym with people who are super talented, super dedicated, and they couldn't cut it. Good human beings, good fighters, Martin Welsh, Danny Davis. These are guys that will forever be associated with Fitzroy Lodge, Leon Williams. These are all guys who are super, super talented guys. And they never got to British level, well, Leon got to British level, but they never got to that world title level where the public would, would see what we saw regularly. These are all classy guys, man. Anthony Smalls. I know I'm not allowed to say him anymore. You know, Smallsy name gets me in trouble. Um, big Dom Akinladi, Big Linton. Um, look at the younger lot, Yilmaz Mustafa. There are loads of guys who are super talented. And when you're around them, Javan Young, you realize this is a really hard game. Really hard game. But it's only a hard game when you're at your best. Boxing doesn't forgive infidelity. You can't love anything else if you love boxing. You can't love the nightlife. You can't love the fast cars. You can't love the silk pajamas if you love boxing. You can't love the money. And that's Fury's cardinal sin. He loved the money over legacy. He thought he could... He could blag his way. I think I said it on Porky's Corner. This is one of the great pump and dump schemes in history where you literally pump this guy up to be something that he hasn't proven he is. And then when the defeat happens, you go, oh, well, we, we, we've got our money. You guys are deflated. Who cares? Yeah. Because that's all you ever hear now. Well, we got paid. We got paid. It's a pump and dump scheme. I love this sport a lot. And I tell people that this is the hardest thing to learn 
because you only have two weapons, a left hand and a right hand, and you've got to be super creative with how you use them because you don't have other options. I can't just go into a clinch or I can't go and do a double leg takedown. And that always set boxing apart. You always thought no one can come and do this sport at that elite pace and hope to cope. And Tyson Fury's basically torpedoed that. So now the MMA guy's like, well, we're the best sport because we can come to yours, put your guys on their backside, mess them about, but you, you definitely can't do that in the octagon and they're right. You take anyone from that box rec top 20, put them in the octagon with even six months of training, they're sleeping. Okay, simple as that, they're sleeping. They're sleeping, they're tapping, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So the MMA guys now are quite rightly saying, well, why are we not the top combat sport? And that's the danger with these crossover bouts. We saw it, man. Tommy Fury got put down by Jake Paul. KSI was able to bully Tommy Fury. It's the Furies dragging, it's, it's, it's the Furies and Joshua who are dragging the sport into the abyss. And the Furious, the Feminists, all these sorts of um, ne'er-do-wells don't have the courage, the discipline, or just the balls to step away and go, we're tired of this. I don't know why. I've never. This is why they get called basement dwellers. Because it's like, don't you have a life? Just walk away from this nonsense. Because they're killing boxing. All in the name of making, making money. And now you've got people like Calzaghi in the media like, yeah, I'll come out to Saudi and fight Carl Froch if they offer me an obscene amount of money. Why? Who wants to see a 50-year-old man fight a 46-year-old man? I don't care. Froch doesn't care. No one cares, man. Uh, John Fury saying that him and Mike Tyson would do tens of millions. It wouldn't. Nobody cares. Right? We don't care. Like we, <laughs> we saw this. I said this to Russ. The worst thing that could have happened was the release of that John Fury fight footage. Because then you realize these guys don't have chins. John got rocked. Tommy got rocked. Tyson gets rocked regularly. They don't have chins. So why are we always talking about, oh, we're fighting men? You're not. I, 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 I tell people, until you're prepared to walk away from, from these sorts of shenanigans, we're going to get more and more of them. I don't want to see Usyk and Fury. I don't think it's relevant. I'll come back to the point I've been making for a long time. The only fight in boxing that's going to get the public excited is Joshua versus Wilder. I don't, re I don't see why Hearn will talk about anything else. No Ngannou fight, no Fury fight. The fight the rest of the world wants to see is Anthony Joshua versus Deontay Wilder. We, we, want, we want to see one of those guys put the other to sleep. But I need to wrap this up because I've been talking for a long time. And here's what I'll say. We hung our hat on Tyson Fury in the first incarnation of his career because we believed he was the guy that could dethrone Vladimir. You know? And it, it allowed us to ignore a few things. The fact that Cunningham put him down relatively easily. Um, the John McDermott. But we ignored a lot of things because we just wanted him to beat Vlad because we felt he deserved it. 
He goes missing on us for two and a half years. Comes back. Fights the nonsense that he fought the first two fights. Sefer, Sefer and the other guy. Quickly agrees to fight Wilder. I imagine for the same reason he agreed to fight Ngannou so easily. Thought, now nah, this guy can't do anything to me. I'm Tyson Fury. Really? <laughs> Wilder let him know. Wilder let him know. Those long spindly arms carry dynamite at the end. And he found that out the hard way. Second fight, who knows what happened with Fury's gloves? Who knows what happened with Wilder's suit? You know, Wilder gave us a, a Fury versus Ngannou type performance. Got stopped. Fair enough. Third fight was last man standing. Literally, both men went to hell and back. I mean, carved out 20% of their soul, handed it to the other guy, and that was it. Right? And in the meantime, we've had to endure this carry-on, this nonsense. Brothers, fathers, um, uncles, nephews, hangers-on, mates, camera jockeys, Steve Bunce, and all these others who are just who do nothing to bring down the average age of a boxing audience, by the way. It's just these old granddads who are, too who are too afraid of being thrown off the gravy train to have an original thought or opinion. And so they leave it to Prince Nassim Hamid, as always, to just say what he thinks, because you know he's going to be good box office. And wrapped around all of this are Frank and Bob, and their aim is just to get whatever money they put into him, they want to get it back. I don't know if they've ever got it back. But they're going against their instincts because none of this makes any sense. You almost want to sit all of them down and go, what's the reason the Joshua fight didn't happen? Or what's the reason the... Who even knows? Man? What's the reason the Usyk fight hasn't happened? Uh, what's the reason you never fought Joe Joyce? What's the reason you never fought this guy or that guy? Why? Why? Why are you still messing around pretending? I think part of it is that Fury can't go to America, and that might be where the money is. But I think the reality is he's aware of his own mortality. He knows what he's doing to his body, and Fury's enough of a historian when it comes to boxing to know he's on borrowed time. His dad knows he's on borrowed time. And so it is, let's get all the money we can while we can, because this is about to crash and burn around us. And that's where we are. Francis Ngannou didn't create this problem. Francis Ngannou exposed this problem. That whole Fury operation has been a mess from, the, from, from when they got rid of Peter Fury, that whole Fury operation has been a mess. Same with Joshua. As soon as Joshua got rid of Rob McCracken, it became a mess. And that's why you see him still working with guys like Joby Clayton and stuff. Um, same way you see Fury working with Sugar Hill, but that can't last now because clearly that's not the right recipe for what Fury needs in terms of Nganu, what does Nganu do um, I imagine there'll be a lot of heavyweights who want to box him but he has a dual sport contract with the PFL so he can box and do MMA so who do you want I, to be honest, I know this sounds really crazy Nganu against someone like a Luis Ortiz just two old school meatheads going at it or even Bacoli. Yeah, I'd like to see that. I don't hold that much hope for him. But give Francis Ngannou a chance. Let him grow and develop in the sport. He'll make a lot more money boxing than he ever will in MMA. So why wouldn't he do that? 
But no, sorry. Um, let me stop talking now because it's, it's been long enough. If you want to hear more, I did did a couple of episodes with Russ as well. I put the links in the description so you can jump on those too. But yeah, I just want to apologize to all all boxing fans who who want the sport to be better because it's really sad that we've let one bald headed bearded idiot completely devalue the sport through sheer greed, ignorance, and incompetence. And all we can hope for now is this new generation of guys are determined to fight each other and give us entertaining fights because we're not far from the abyss when it comes to boxing.